definitely there is a powerful use case for using HRV as a biofeedback tool, breathing, meditation, those types of things. It can show you immediate physiological effects of those that we've we've used that with everyone from police, fire, military to golfers with their golf swing and NBA players for their free throws to kind of control the physiology, the balance of their nervous system in those key moments where they need to make critical decisions and, and perform. Hey, welcome to this week's episode of the Human Enhancement Podcast. This is your host, Jeffrey Wu. And this is going to be a really fun one because in a lot of our conversations over with previous guests, we touched upon the topic of heart rate variability, HRV. And it's becoming a biometric that's beginning a lot of attention and traction as being important for so many different uh, endpoints of measurement. So I'm excited to be talking with Jason Moore, who's the founder of Elite HRV, probably one of the most premier software uh, applications out there to track and monitor HRV. Welcome to the program. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and I love the work that y'all are doing as well. And I know folks are familiar with that, so I don't have to talk it up, but I think you're doing great things over there. So happy to be able to contribute. Hey, appreciate it. Appreciate it. I mean, I think there's more and more entrepreneurs and thinkers and operators who are looking at humans as a platform for innovation. So I see us very much as a similar kindred spirits, you know, innovating on top of what makes humans tick and hopefully making humans a little bit better. So let's just dive into it. So HRV, heart rate variability, let's start from the basics. Um, what is it? How does one measure it? How about we start start from there? Yeah. And, you know, feel free to uh, curtail me a little bit because I teach a whole course on this and things so I can talk hours on the subject. Yeah. But heart rate variability in a nutshell is kind of looking at these tiny, almost imperceptible changes that occur in your heart rate between each and every single beat. So it's not just that you have higher heart rate when you're exercising and lower when you're not exercising. Of course, people understand that, but each and every beat is actually different than the one before it. And certain patterns within those changes between heartbeats actually reflect activity from different systems within the body, such as the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system specifically, is one that we're really interested in. And so by measuring these tiny little millisecond changes between heartbeats, this heart rate variability, we can run certain algorithms to detect activity from the nervous system, see how the body's responding to stress, whether that's from physical exercise or from the environment, from nutrition, from psychological stress, and then also how the body's actually recovering from and adapting to that stress, which is super interesting as well, us being adaptive organisms, and that's how we improve over time or not improve. We're looking at the body's recovery responses and things to those different stressors as well, which, which actually produce different patterns in those heart rate variability changes. Yeah. So, you know, the way I like to think about it is that the heartbeat itself is an obvious metric that everyone sort of talks about because it's easy to measure. But the heart rate variability, which is harder to measure, it's the time in between each heartbeat and the variability between each of those variances. So it's kind of like a second order measure. It requires more sensitive equipment. So it's perhaps less talked about. I, I think one just question that, you know, that I had when I was first looking at the heart rate variability space was that it's kind of counterintuitive that more variability 
is a marker for more recovered or a, a state that you want to be in where less variability or more steady of a heartbeat is actually a sign of not being a, as an optimal state. It's kind of counterintuitive, right? Can you walk us through why that happens physiologically? Yeah, you know, a quick frame of reference for that is that um, optimal and suboptimal is contextual and relative, right? So if you exercise, you want your heart rate to go up, right? Otherwise, you won't be able to be very effective at exercising. Similarly, when you're resting, you want your heart rate to go back down because you don't want to waste a ton of energy from like an evolutionary perspective and energy efficiency perspective alone. That would be pretty suboptimal. But similarly, this heart rate variability concept, when you're exercising, and I just like to use exercise because that's an easy example that people can understand of stressing their body out, and it's a fairly neutral stress in the sense that it's positive or negative depending on what you're up to. But your body needs to deliver resources to the right place at the right time very efficiently when you're stressing it out, right? So it, your body takes tight control over your heart rate makes it very consistent as well as elevating it. And so you're, you're shuttling glucose and hormonal signaling around to the bloodstream and all this stuff. And it needs to, you know, oxygen, everything needs to happen at the right place at the right time, very efficiently for you to respond to that stress. So it becomes more consistent versus when you're kind of relaxed. And, you know, this is kind of like a, a bigger picture overview, analogous way of looking at it is, things can become a little bit more flexible. Your recovery systems kind of kick back in and slow things down. And then you've got this push and pull between recovery and performance going on a little bit more. And things become a little bit more variable and flexible. And it's less important that, you know, your heart rate is 55 beats versus 56 beats or something like that at any given moment. It doesn't really matter. And so that's just kind of some kind of bigger picture, generalistic ways of describing it. There's a lot more to the mechanisms and there's exceptions and, and things as well, but that's kind of how you can think of it. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So if you're just more relaxed, it doesn't matter as much to be at a rhythm of, you know, exactly, I guess, one second between a heartbeat or something, right? Yeah. And so coming back to what you were saying about optimal and suboptimal yeah. is that you know, when you're exercising and you're going hard, you actually don't necessarily want a high degree of variability. Right. So an HRV, a higher HRV is normally seen as better, but it's not necessarily all the, always the case depending on what you're doing. And so um, there's a lot of interest between HRV in exercise and HRV at rest and other various activities. So optimal depends on the context of when you're measuring the values as well. Yeah. I think it's like actually a good segue to actually talk about why people should care about HRV. So I think in a lot of our conversations with previous guests, it's interesting from a training athletic performance perspective. There's more data suggesting that it's interesting from an emotional mood state perspective. Can you help break it down? You know, why is there so much excitement about HRV as a marker to track? And, and can you categorize a couple of the key areas that people are coalescing around? Sure, definitely. So heart rate variability goes way back actually in history. Pulse rate variation generally was detected like a century ago, but about 50 years ago, they started being able to actually quantify that with things like the formal ECG uh, machines. But 
it takes a high degree of accuracy to measure. And so up until recently, technology wasn't available to capture HRV very easily. It took really expensive equipment, tens of thousands of dollars, and usually a team of scientists to cipher through all the data to figure out what was going on. And now we're able to automate a lot of that and make it accessible. And so the use cases for it have also increased over time and the interest of it has really exploded recently now that it's become so accessible. So originally it was used only in kind of behind the scenes for like Olympic training and things like that, or uh, some of the top high budget sports teams, as well as in a hospital setting where you have EKGs all over the place. And those things are pretty prevalent for measuring, you know, heart rate variability after like heart attacks, myocardial infarctions, and fetal heart rate variability situations, looking for really acute situations. And now that you can measure HRV in as little as 60 seconds, anytime, anywhere, and basically all you need is a phone and, you know, a fairly affordable device to accurately capture the data, people are using it for tailoring training from avoiding overtraining, avoiding undertraining, kind of trying to find that sweet spot for training, and then optimizing sleep, optimizing their nutrition plans, understanding how inflammation in the body works because inflammation and heart rate variability have a strong correlation, and then managing chronic health conditions as well. Coaches are now starting to integrate it in many more different types of models outside of just elite sports. So, You have people integrating it into gyms, integrating it into health coaching scenarios where people are trying to manipulate many different variables. And that kind of brings us back to some of what your original question was, is why do we care about HRV specifically, right? And HRV is kind of a, a very systemic marker. So it reflects activity from the autonomic nervous system The autonomic nervous system is like the body's central kind of control center for most of the response to stress and recovery from stress. And it's involved in almost every automatic process in the body from controlling your blood pressure, controlling your blood sugar, pupil dilation, sweating, sexual function, digestion. All of these things are impacted by autonomic nervous system. It's kind of like, I I think the old name for it was like vegetative nervous system, right? It's like your reptilian or your primal instinctual interactions are guided by the autonomic nervous system, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. And the more they learned about it, then they came up with better names for it too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, it, it integrates very tightly into the big picture of things. And so it makes it a very powerful marker to say, okay, I'm going to manipulate this variable. How is that impacting me overall? Right? So whether you're tweaking training or whether you're tweaking recovery, sleep, nutrition, psychological health, mindfulness practices, meditation, all of these things that people talk about that can help you or, you know, to what degree you don't know, this kind of gives you a nice marker to say, okay, I'm actually making progress here. I'm moving the needle in a positive direction or a negative direction as I make changes and all of these things. Yeah. I think that's like a an astute point where I think, again, I think why there's a lot of interest is that it's such a primal biomarker that seems to be implicated in so many downstream systems that it is like a relatively easy now 
to access biomarker that's important to, to test different interventions, right? Like, ostensibly, if your meditation practice helps you be more relaxed, be more mindful, you have lower cortisol, that ostensibly might show up in having a higher rested HRV, right? Um, right. So, and yeah. There's a lot of individuality to it, too. And so, you know, we're often told that X, Y, or Z practice will help us but our individual situations are so unique that, yes, it's true, most of the time addressing nutrition or sleep or something like that could be a good thing to do, but maybe that's not the thing for you that's the worst actor that you'll get the best bang for your buck out of changing, right? Yeah. So it's also about efficiency of time. We have a busy lives and things like that, and we don't want to just be guessing about what we should be doing. This helps us kind of decrease the feedback loop on knowing whether or not what we're doing is actually working. I'm curious to hear about your personal trajectory and story about why you got so deep into HRV. Yeah, what aside, from it, <laughs> aside from it just being a really interesting subject. Yeah. So my background is designing data analysis to systems in oil and gas industry. And mm -hmm. so by education and by original career path, I was basically working in an environment where we were putting sensors out on these really expensive equipment out in the field, collecting a lot of complex data from that equipment, and then manipulating that data so that people who are actually maintaining the equipment or decision makers uh, could use that data and make effective decisions. So, you know, millions of dollars were on the line for a lot of this equipment, and you really don't want to mess it up. And similarly, I would kind of translate that to us and saying that one of the most important pieces of equipment we have is our body, and someday maybe the most that important. Will... I think it should, it should it's canonically the most important. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Priceless, in fact. Yeah. And until we can download our conscious into a jar or something, but yeah. um, on the side, though, almost every chronic health condition in the books is in my family. Based on family history, I'm predisposed to just about everything. And uh, on the, I also am very interested in human performance from a personal perspective. So I competed in sports and then eventually became a coach. And on the side of doing all this data analysis work, I was always hands-on in sports and coaching and health scene and things like that. I was a, a coach for a number of years. And I was looking for ways to basically simplify the quantification of progress for myself, my clients, people near and dear to me, and things like that, and discovered heart rate variability a number of years ago. Started and just the nature of how I operate is I really like personal interaction, so I immediately try to go straight to the experts, right? So people who are on the front lines doing the innovative research and kind of networking with innovative coaches and doctors in different fields and doing what I do, which is just pulling data together and making it easier for these people decided, hey, I think there's a lot of promise with this heart rate variability thing, but the systems that are available to track it are just not really that accessible to most people or understandable. And I think we can do better. So I decided to form a team and put that together and that's where Elite HRV was born and pretty rapidly spread around the world. Basically, every country that has a smartphone uh, has Elite HRV users and 
We had people meddling in the Olympics after a short period of time, monitoring their HRV on our platform and and then all the way to measuring child psychology cases, reintroducing children in troubled homes back into their home and using HRV as a way to show parents that there's a physiological effect of confrontation with your child. And just because they're being quiet and there doesn't appear to be any effect, there actually is. So um, there's a full spectrum of use cases there, even with animals. <laughs> so um, <laughs> um, that was an interesting use case that we could talk about if we have extra time at the end. Or yeah, actually, I, I, no, that'd be interesting. I want to touch upon that. But I think before talking about like the animal use case, I'm sure there's interesting animal studies going around all the time. You must have seen the evolution of the sensors and technology. I think you touched upon it a little bit in the introduction about how this used to be done only in the clinic, only in the hospital, only for like super expensive, really expensive, you know, elite teams can afford this kind of equipment. I remember this probably like four or five years ago using like a polar heart rate monitor and then linking it up to the elite HRV to read HR, you know, the heart rate variability data. And I was like recently playing with it and it sounds like, you know, there's like things like Aura Ring, which is a sleep mm-hmm. tracker that also measures HRV. How have you seen the sensor and technology shift over the time? And perhaps where do you see sensor technology developing, moving into the future? So, you know, as you mentioned, even still to today, the like polar type chest strap is one of the most accessible and accurate ways to capture HRV data and stream that to a smartphone app like ours, like Elite HRV. And that's been a recent year's evolution where the chest straps were able to get accurate enough to start calculating that data. And then the uh, processing power became powerful enough on smartphones to do signal filtering and things like that to clean up the data, Mm. to make it accurate enough for HRV. So uh, really rapidly uh, after that happened, people started saying, okay, well, now I can measure this regularly. Now I want it to be more convenient, right? That's where a lot of interest has come into wrist wearables, the aura ring. There's been ear clips and uh, finger clips and things like that um, that are all trying to figure out how to incorporate HRV. And it's really challenging because heart rate variability, again, does require a high degree of accuracy. And anytime you're measuring HRV, below or off the chest, essentially, if you're using a multi-lead chest electric, passive electric sensor like chest strap, it's very forgiving when you're moving around for signal noise, as long as you're not doing a lot of torso rotation that will cause friction under the strap or something like that. But as soon as you start measuring on more convenient places like the wrist or the hand or the finger, arm, things like that, as soon as you move that limb, it introduces a huge amount of noise into the signal. And so that's the big challenge that's kind of come up for people who are trying to measure HRV continuously over 24 hours, for example. And so a lot of the wrist wearables like Apple Watch is uh, now including an HRV value in Apple Health Kit. They're just using it for guided breathing for the most part right now because you don't need extreme accuracy to help guide someone's breathing. But if you're trying to report statistical values that are meaningful from an autonomic nervous system balance point of view and things like that, it's still not quite there yet from an accuracy point of view. And that's where specialty devices are kind of coming in. 
And so in general, the wearable market is doing this interesting trend where from a health perspective, everyone wants to be the health wearable of choice. But things like Apple Watch, they're trying to compete more for style, more for emojis and tweets than they are for like accurate physiological data. Right. And of course, Apple may be the company that ends up bridging both gaps. But um, things like the Aura Ring have taken things a step further. Moving to the finger is a, definitely an upgrade from the wrist. There's so many challenges to measuring HRV accurately at the wrist that it's just almost a insurmountable task from a cost benefit perspective. Right. You can you can do anything if you have an unlimited budget, but I mean just physiology, right? Like I think we actually had the Aura Ring founder on our podcast and he was describing that there's so much bone on the top of our wrist to have such like a powerful laser essentially to be like penetrating the bone is is challenging. So right. other locations seem to be smarter in terms yeah, of but perhaps less stylish, but like literally smarter in terms of like the amount of data and versus power you need. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so then the other question too comes in, and this kind of comes from my background of doing the data analysis in oil and gas is uh, the more data you collect, the more data you have to analyze. Right. And so more data isn't always better. And so that's kind of what set us apart early on was we were trying to say like a lot of people started going from the chest strap to like adhesive patches. And you may have seen like Amp Strip try to come out, uh, which was a huge uh, crowdfunding campaign that raised several million dollars and then just collapsed because they were trying to basically have a chest patch that you could stick on your chest and then wear continuously. And that would capture accurate HRV data theoretically over time. Right. But the problem is, what are you going to do with all of that data, right? It depends on the decisions that you're trying to make and on the algorithms and AI and, and, and all of that stuff, right? So like how much how much like megabytes, gigabytes are we talking about? I'm just actually curious from, a, from an engineering perspective. Yeah, that's a good question. I would say so if I can do some quick math in my head. So we're talking about. Any one person, if you're actually capturing all the RR intervals, you could be t capturing several megabytes of data per day. It's not really that huge from right. an RR interval perspective. If you're looking at full pulse waveform uh, throughout the day, that could be a lot more. It could be talking gigabytes a day per person, potentially, depending on the resolution mm -hmm. of that data. But I think storage is probably not the issue because it's like storage... signal processing. It's a signal processing that's difficult. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, it's the processing, the signal processing, and then also the interpretation. So so here's the thing. Um, an acute situation like exercise. Let's say you exercise really hard. Well, if you're measuring during that time, you can see that you exercised really hard. Great. Okay. So uh, then you keep measuring for the next couple days or whatever, and then you find out like, oh, okay, well, interestingly, when I exercise really hard, I actually automatically, my body is very smart and adaptive. I automatically ate more. I automatically slept more. And by the following morning, I had actually already compensated enough on the recovery side to make up for that additional exercise load, right? And so that's not always the case. Depends on volume, depends on load, depends on your training experience and things like that but the body is adaptive. And so what we've done is we've kind of reduced the amount of measurement time that you need down to just a couple minutes a day. 
and to be able to derive 90 plus percent of the value out of that by saying, okay, if you exercised hard yesterday and it shows up the following morning, then you know that there's something that has uh, made significant and lasting change in your body that you might want to address, right? And so you don't have all of this signal noise to, ana- to analyze or interpret. You just have one number from one reading and it only took two minutes to do. Right. And exercise, whether it's exercise, sleep, nutrition, all these other things, it's kind of about distilling it down to how often are you actually going to be making decisions and you know what's the minimum amount of data you need to effectively make that decision. Right. And so kind of just to round out your question though from earlier is how I see it evolving is eventually computing capacity and processing power will be so robust that you may just have like a tattoo or an implantable and at any moment you'll, or even like I say, a joke, like a, a micro hover drone that's just <laughs> like there all the time watching you and uh, you'll get a little bit more real time feedback to say like, hey, I noticed you just picked up a donut. Maybe uh, today is not the best day. You should put that down, (laughs) Um, something like that. So you might get a little bit more real-time feedback. But in the meantime, it's about how often you're going to actually make decisions. And we even tell people sometimes you don't need to monitor every day. It depends what your goals are and where you're at. Measuring a couple times a week or even measuring once a month or something like that may be enough. And it just depends. Yeah. 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 I, I think, well, would it be inaccurate to say that you guys have probably have the most HRV data across the population in the world? Yeah. You know, I don't have access to all the databases in the world, but definitely one of the know, larger is a safe, it would be safe to say. Definitely. Yeah. One of the larger, yeah. yeah. You know, one of the largest for the way that we do it, which is we're capturing lots of baseline HRV data on like a longitudinal basis. Mm-hmm. And so millions of readings and, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people across many different backgrounds. And one of the things, too, that we have, which is kind of nice, is a lot of uh, contextual data as well, comparing different things like sleep, exercise, alcohol consumption, different nutritional habits, shift work, all this stuff yeah. to to the HRB data. I mean, I want to take that context in a couple directions. One, I mean, what's like the best setup or an optimal setup that you could recommend? I mean, you're talking a little bit about the trade-offs between, you know, like an Apple Watch or a wrist device versus a chest strap. And obviously like a chest strap, I know from personal experience, it's more cumbersome, it's quite a bit cumbersome, right? You gotta take off mm-hmm. your shirt, you gotta like put it on and make sure it sticks right and make sure it's like, you know, a little bit of wetness so that you can actually pick up the electric signal versus like an aura ring. What's your personal setup or, you know, what are popular setups that your customers or your your users use? Yeah. And so kind of coming back to the accuracy is super important to us. We've never given, so to speak, on that piece. And so most of our users still today use chest straps. But the number one feedback we get is we love the data, but we hate putting this wet strap around our (laughs) chest first thing in the morning. Right. And so totally understandable. And basically, we almost were forced by our users to get into hardware. And so we were coming out with a device that is going to be a specialty HRV device, which captures accurate HRV from the fingertip. 
And it is targeting our specific use cases of capturing the minimum of data you need to make the most effective decisions. And it's called CoreSense, C-O-R-S-E-N-S-E. And that'll be out in just a few weeks, actually. Whoa. Exciting. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's very exciting. And so we're very low-key about this stuff. We're not pushy on devices and things because if you already have a chest strap, then just use that because it, it works, right? Yeah. But if you're well, uh, ready to take it kind of to the next level where you can get a little bit more convenience, you can capture for a few different other use cases, you can do group reading. So is it even. kind of like a pulse oximeter mm, mm-hmm. type of a thing? Yeah. So you're just going to clip sign... Yeah, it's very much like a pulse oximeter. You just stick your finger in and go. And what people will do a lot of cases is they'll just leave it on their bedside table and just wake up, pop it on your finger for two minutes, pop it off, you're done. That's all the data you need for the entire day. And then our algorithms, which we could talk about more in a bit, do the rest of the work. It's also nice because if people do want to do live biofeedback, you can stream the data in real time and get visual feedback and you can practice different meditations, guided breathing patterns. Just pop this on your finger, whether you're at work or anywhere and get that live HRV biofeedback. Yeah. So yeah, this will be out in a couple of weeks. It's going to retail at 145. We've got some special deals for the podcast listeners here that we can chat about, but um, at the end, so the, at, when, at the, when, end, when yeah. the the true the true supporters can stick out to the end, they need to learn more about it before they they get the special access. No, but I think that's exciting. I mean, I think knowing a little bit about the hardware business is not easy to build a piece of hardware. Can you talk about the trials and tribulations going from a software signals processing company that's processing you know the most one of the most you know largest data sets of HRV to now building hardware? How is that transition? Yeah. How you know any any learning stumbling blocks or smooth sailing? Because you guys are just really good operators. Tell me about that story. <laughs> smooth is always relative, right? So <laughs> it's gone very well. I'll say that. And we are very detail oriented people. We come from a high risk industry. You know, in oil and gas, if you mess things up, people die and millions of dollars are lost. Yeah. So we do have a lot of background in high dollar, high high risk projects like that. But Uh, Going from software to hardware has definitely been an adventure. It's been actually an advantage, we think, in the sense that we've spent so much time getting to know people on the data analysis side and how they're actually using this data out in the real world and all the signal processing and things like that, optimizing the algorithms. Our app is like the most downloaded HRV app for sure and the highest rated as well. Um, that combo is kind of hard to achieve, but basically it's because we interact so heavily with people. So doing all of that has really helped us understand people before we had to do all of this investment of getting into hardware, yeah. right? And so rather than guessing what people need, we pretty much knew from the beginning because they were asking us for it. And that really helped us design the hardware in such a way that people we know will, will want. We've we've already pre-sold <laughs> A large share of the units that we're producing, so we're gonna have to be, um, uh, you know, upping that production very soon. But the main learning, I would say, from a business perspective, going from software to hardware, is the the timelines are much longer, right? Yeah. So, anytime you make a tiny little change, and we're very detail oriented people, so there have been a lot of little changes along the way. Yeah. It adds lots of cycles, and so. 
but it's been great. And uh, honestly, the technology, sensor technology has evolved so much in the recent years, even the past couple of years, that uh, when we started down this road, actually a couple of years ago now in the initial research and design and engineering phase of this hardware is... uh, it's it's become much more accessible and we've been able to price it now in such a way where it's very accessible to a lot of people. Yeah, no, I mean, the price point's very competitive. You know, just knowing very little about, you know, like the feature set here, we can talk a little bit more about the feature set, but I mean, it sounds like it's like a perfect use case where it's like, it's easy to use, it's not invasive, and it's like, it sounds like it streams directly to Elite HRV, so it's like a very easy real-time sensor that's not, not like you guys put on some strap or wear something continuous all the time because it, it it does get just a little bit cumbersome to have to charge devices all the time but it sounds like this is just like as you need and then the software takes care of the rest which is very cool yeah and it's you know from that perspective too that introduces so many pros to doing the hardware this way so the battery lasts like six months <laughs> and yeah, so it's, I mean, you virtually have to just try not to lose the charger because yeah. you're never going to use it almost. And uh, and then the we the package this way being a specialty HRV device, we have three different wavelength emitters, so green, red, and infrared, uh, covering the full spectrum of skin colors and skin thicknesses and things like that, top and bottom LEDs, so it's transmitting not only light through your finger but reflecting off your finger and having sensors on both sides the uh, sampling rate is 500 hertz, so that's 500 samples per second, which is basically ECG-grade sampling rate, getting it 99% comparable to an ECG for heart rate and 98% for heart rate variability. Uh, which what's, the, what's that comp to for people that you know have no idea? I mean, like, what is an Apple Watch uh, pull at? What is an Aura Ring pull at? Do you have a sense? Uh, yeah, I don't know specifically what the Aura Ring pulls at. I think it's probably 200, something like okay. that. There's a lot of power and sampling trade-offs to make there. The Apple Watch, I think, is like 125 or something like that uh, when it's pulling, right? And those devices aren't pulling 24-7, depending on the device that's pulling at certain times. But but yeah, we kind of we're able to take it up to this 500 hertz range, which is actually double the gold standard for heart rate variability now. People are kind of used to the old research on heart rate variability. They'll all go, oh no, it has to be a thousand hertz or something like that. But that was before the software became a lot more powerful. So now that we have software that's much more powerful, you can actually drill or dial down the sampling rate and still have effective measurements. But we like to again, keep the data quality as high as possible. So 500 hertz is over double the gold standard right now for HRV uh, rested measurements. And it's over double most of the other devices on the market yeah. for, for the sampling rate. Yeah, very cool. I mean, I can't wait to play with it. I mean, I know that we have a lot of amateur and some some more than others at the company that are more than amateur athletes. So it'd be interesting to sort of see this on a, on a regular basis comparing HRVs and all of that. One thing I wanted to move back towards was Given that you have one of the largest data sets on HRV data, what are some interesting patterns or anecdotes or stories that you can tell from this interesting data set? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so many anecdotes. It's cr- incredible. And that's been part of our learning process over the years is we've had tons of people now report things like, I woke up, I took a morning reading, and it told me that I was in the red and that I should be aware of something 
and but I, I felt fine. I wasn't sure. And then at lunch, I went home sick throwing up, hmm. right? And so like basically the algorithm already is starting to predict or at least uh, show early warning signs for things like sickness and things like that before any symptoms or any change in perception of your condition occurs. And then definitely from a training perspective, I mean, this is being mapped out for almost every sport now. Um, we're getting to the point where we're working with a lot of the top experts in different fields to create kind of AI training templates, essentially, where it's like, wake up, take this two minute reading, adjust training like this, go. And it's going to be very uh, hand holding to that extent. Right now, it's a little bit more like uh, takes a slight bit more of interpretation from the coach or the user, but that's getting refined over time. And then we've had things like a user had the chest strap on taking a reading and had taken readings before, noticed that the patterns were way off, there was something really wrong, and then started realizing they were kind of having like a panic attack and then started getting pain in their arm, things like this. They Whoa. called emergency services, ambulance came. He was about to have a heart attack. Yeah, about to have a heart attack, and the app was detecting it. <laughs> and he kept the chest strap on, measuring all the way through on the ambulance, all the way to the hospital. The doctors in the ambulance and at the hospital were like, what app is this? You should keep using this app. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we're saying like, okay, well, right now it's not intended for heart attack prevention, but it's really interesting to see that data. And, and obviously we got a really nice message from that person potentially save their life, uh, making this entire journey worth it alone. That's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, part of our goal is to make this accessible. That's why the app's free. That's why we work with where even though we're coming out with our own hardware, we're still going to work with chest straps, right? Like this person is on disability and low income and they couldn't afford to purchase any type of a fancy expensive wearable but their friend gave them a chest strap and our app is free. So they literally spent $0 to monitor this and then it saved their life. And that to me makes this all worth it. You know, if we can reach people in that way, their money will come. So yeah, it's uh, not. Absolutely. I think that's almost the epitome of where I think people should aspire to with their craft, right? Like create meaning with their craft and then if you're creating value for the world, money's going to come. And I think a lot of people are chasing the opposite where it's like make money, make money, and then like kind of find meaning when they go on like long vacations or go to a meditation retreat, right? They have to like spend their money to like find meaning. But what if you actually just solve the core root problem, which is like just do something meaningful. You don't have to like mortgage your life to do a crappy job to then go find meaning on a, on a, on a vacation to Africa or something. But I think one point that I thought was interesting to just highlight was that I think when people talk about biohackers or human performance, it's always focus on elite athletes. And I think with anecdotes with who you're telling, I, and I think this is something that we really understand and, and sort of want to educate to the world at human is that it's really the two sides of the same coin in terms of human performance at the elite level and helping sick people or deficient people get into a healthier state. It's just the notion that you, you have some measure of baseline and work on interventions and improve that baseline. That baseline could be from, you know, 
you're a super elite athlete trying to go for a gold medal, or you have you know cardiovascular disease risk, and you want to like prevent that. Um, so I think, in, in some sense, the money, or at least the sophistication, starts at the elite level. But hopefully, it sounds right. like you have similar goals that like everyone should be incorporating some of these tools. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it's just like you said. I mean, the people at the top are very motivated, right? So. These are the types of people often, if they're into cycling, they're buying like a $16,000 bicycle, yeah. right? So those people, they'll pay for the premium services, they'll pay for the nice-to-haves and things like that, um, which is great because it's going to actually make small percentages gains for them, which is what they need. Yeah. Um, but for the rest of us, uh, you know, a 1% change in your health, if you're just a normal person, is probably unnoticeable. Yeah. But you can make some more broad brush changes and use the same or similar technology to see if you're making bigger changes in your overall health status. Yeah. Let, let us move to some of these audience questions. Um, sure. so we touched upon some of this, but it might be better just to directly answer them. So Megan Robbins writes in to our email, podcast at human. Uh, what success stories have you seen with people using HRV for athletic performance? Yeah, I mean, Olympic medalists. Uh, so, I mean, that's, uh, we we have tons of anecdotes now that say, you know, from a heart rate variability perspective, before they were measuring it, that it's all about consistency because now you have such a large population, you're going to get this epic performances. If people are doing all the wrong things, you'll still get somebody performing well. But it, it's about consistency so people who have implemented HRV and like a, a team scale have been able to reduce injuries across the team as well as increase overall performance of the team. So decreasing the variation between the top performers and the bottom performers, bringing more people up to that top performing tier. Um, and then from a personal perspective is you have a, a lot of case studies showing athletes that are operating at one level and then implement monitoring where they're now training load and recovery status based on data and kicking them up from just being a competitor in like a, a age group, you know, competitive bracket or something like that to being a podium finisher pretty much at every competition. And so we've seen these things now again, just tracking the data doesn't automatically guarantee that by any means. You have to actually do things differently, right. make changes based off of it. But um, tons and tons of use cases like that. Yeah, and I think just given my experience working with some of the top SNC coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, um, I think one point you mentioned, injury prevention. I think that's like the most underrated part of something like HRV. Um, you know, SNC coaches in some sense are paid the big bucks to prevent their, you know, million dollar salary, you know, football players or basketball players from being on the bench recovering from injury. I mean, that's millions of dollars that the management has to sort of, you know, they, they can't utilize their, their investment to the player. I think we talk about performance, but I think injury prevention seems to be probably a bigger use case, if not, yeah. right? Yeah, and like you said, there's a lot of money on the line with injuries, right? Yeah. Oh, another one real quick before I dive into injuries is uh, we have a sports scientist who's work who works with um, the national and world champion wrestling teams uh, for a collegiate level age group and things like that. And they're able to almost predict the point differential in the wrestling match based on pre-match HRV scores. Whoa. Um, so from a gambling perspective, too, that's be interesting. But uh, <laughs> but we got to strap this to the racehorses. 
Yes. Yeah, so that's a funny. <laughs> that's a that's an anecdote that I have actually. Is interesting. Uh, we had a question. I'll keep this story really yeah. short. We had a question about many users sharing one phone, and uh, I was like trying to figure out with this person, <laughs> you know, why don't they just use their own phone or something like that? Like, what's the use case here? And then right. it turns out that these users there were, were horses. Wow. And so they're monitoring to the Elite HRV app with a polar strap that's designed for horses. And um, so those actually exist. And uh, so we've had a couple of interesting cases like that. Uh, but yeah, so to come back to your point about injuries, that's, that's a huge uh, thing. And I have a personal anecdote for this. I'm always pushing my limits. I'm always trying to... Yeah, what are you training uh, for? It's just training for life. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, like what what events? Are you running? Are you swimming? Are you cycling? Uh, so most recently... We're all training uh, for life. Life's hard. <laughs> life's hard. And so I, I subscribe to a bit of an anti-fragile approach to my training in the sense that I try to train for scenarios that are unforeseeable in the sense that I like to change it up a lot. So I'll do CrossFit type workouts for a period of time. I'll do more endurance uh, type focus exercise for periods of time. I had a really big deficiency in upper body body weight strength because I grew up playing soccer. And so I've been getting into gymnastics and things like that to kind of round out some of that. And last year I injured my neck, unfortunately, and HRV definitely picked that up and tracked with my recovery, which I've used with my physical therapist and uh, chiropractor and other things. So, But every single time that I've injured myself in the past several years has been on days when my HRV <laughs> told me in advance. To I should go be, it hard. Yeah. Yeah, I should be aware. And so even, you know, I, I'm human just like the rest of us. And even I hope being so. A, Yes, the fat, <laughs> I do have a plate in my ankle, so I'm semi-bionic. But um, you know, I, I I've injured myself uh, pushing my own limits, and HRV has helped me in the recovery process. And I'm also learning to pay attention to it on those days. Yeah. <laughs> and that actually segues into another question: um, How does HRV correlate with other biological variables? You mentioned inflammation, you know, cortisol. Any other obvious, interesting? biomarkers that there's associations that have been, uh, I guess, discovered or, or, or hypothesized? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, typically as blood pressure increases, heart rate variability decreases and uh, speaking of cortisol and C-reactive protein, as cortisol increases, typically HRV will decrease mm. and C-reactive proteins and other measures sort of For inflammatory yep. load, right? And so, this is kind of a nice non-invasive way of measuring inflammation without having to do blood draws and things like that to, to get that CRP value. And just overall things, blood glucose, as that increases, typically HRV decreases. Mm. We're actually working with some pretty innovative people doing research on the relationship between blood glucose and HRV and coming up with somewhat of an index between those and seeing how those two markers combined can give us like an overall inflammatory load score, basically, that's more specific. Uh, I mean, we got to do a collaboration on ketone ester and how it affects HRV. I mean, that's an obvious one. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, <laughs> for sure, I mean, yeah. ketones and inflammation are also very closely tied. Yes. And uh, exactly. And so um, there's, you know, 
speaking of, uh, without going too far down that rabbit hole, when you're talking about performance and different fuel sources, uh, using glucose as a fuel source versus ketones as a fuel source and fat, um, you know, it's not only about how much energy output you're able to produce. It's also about inflammatory load and cascading effects from that as well. Right. And recovery from all of that training. So that's where something like HRV and ketones versus glucose as a fuel source kind of is really interesting. Yeah. Right. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah, lots of lots of markers. I mean, we've even had people do weight loss challenges where they're tracking scale weight and HRV. And the people who increased their HRV the most in 30 days also lost the most weight. And huh. so really interesting data there. We've had uh, rehab clinics, um, speaking of injuries again, work-related injury. Uh, people in this clinic, are the clinicians are now predicting almost if somebody's going to recover from the injury 12 months in advance based on their first couple of weeks of HRV readings. Hmm. And so they can kind of uh, pay closer attention to the people who are showing warning signs of, of 12 months going by before, they're, before they know, okay, well, I guess treatment didn't work, yeah. <laughs> right? And if you could figure that out in six weeks instead of 12 months, you'd be saving everyone a lot of time yeah. and money. I, there's a good audience question here that maybe is a little bit of a devil's advocate on how... <laughs> how useful HRV can be. So Gavin Allison on Twitter asks, I've heard that you can manipulate your HRV score before taking a measurement by doing breathing exercises. Is this true? So I guess, you know, going to the devil's advocate perspective, oh, can I just sort of, you know, hack my HRV and does that make the long-term predictions inaccurate? So if you're really trying hard to game it, you can, right? And so that's, just how it is. You can right? game anything, I guess. Is if, if exactly. You put it, yeah, yeah. You can game anything. You can you can take a shot of Kool Aid before you go to your diabetes test, right? And you're gonna look that. like you're gonna look like you're type two diabetic. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If you're really wanting an insulin subscription, you can get one. Yeah. But the thing is, though, is people ask this question a lot. They they find that once they learn about breathing patterns that influence HRV. They're like, oh, now I can't help it. I kind of subconsciously breathe this way or something like that. And the interesting thing is, is yes, in the acute situation, that will change the absolute value of the HRV score. But for relative changes over time, that actually can wash out if you do it correctly. And so if you're isolating variables like taking the reading first thing in the morning, same time each day, you know, multiple uh, readings over time, and then you just use the same breathing pattern, then that variable is becoming a constant, right? And so then the changes in your HRV actually are reflecting other things besides that breathing pattern. And so we don't typically recommend that. We prefer a natural breathing pattern because respiratory rate is, is a response to stress and a, it's a recovery tactic that your body uses. But if it's something you're worried about, you can control for that. And then what we do to mitigate that is we recommend that you don't lie down and take the reading and do this deep uh, kind of meditative breathing because the combination of all that can kind of be, be so relaxing that it masks your body's expression of stress, so to right. speak. Um, so we'll recommend sitting up or standing up if you're going to follow some type of guided breathing pattern. But then that's how you eliminate that variable yeah. if you want. I mean, sense the reason that if you're just meditating all the time and you want to like hack HRV, but you just meditate all the time, you probably will just feel better, 
right? Like, yeah, like by, by yeah. hacking it, you're actually doing like the mindfulness exercise and like the stress relaxation techniques that actually probably, you know, do the end outcome that you actually want to do. So it's like, that, which is probably fine. It's like exercise. So you're going to like exercise a lot more. You have more variability. Is that a hack or is that just like, hey, we helped you add a new habit? Yeah, exactly. And it all comes back to, like you're saying, what's your goal of the measurement, right? So if your goal is to just learn what your baseline is, just sit down, relax, don't try to hack it. Or if you know that you're kind of subconsciously hacking it, let's control for that. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, definitely there is a powerful use case for using HRV as a biofeedback tool, breathing, meditation, those types of things. It can show you immediate physiological effects of those that we've we've used that with everyone from police, fire, military to golfers with their golf swing and NBA players for their free throws to kind of control the physiology, the balance of their nervous system in those key moments where they need to make critical decisions and, and perform. Right. Yeah. No, it's an exciting space. I mean, you know, we work closely with folks from elite military and in, in sports, and there's so much interest and attention around human performance, especially on the measurement side, right? I think. You know, something like human ketone is an input into a body, but like, you know, and I think equally important, if not more important place to look at human performance is the dashboard side. You know, how are we actually quantifying measures? Uh, and, and then from there, can we make better decisions on the inputs, right? Like it's a very much a, a yin and yang, uh, uh, almost like a feedback loop that you need. I always like asking this question. And it's more of a philosophical one. You know, when we engage with different athletes, you know, I think half these athletes or at least I don't know if it's half, but like one school of thought is that, you know, you don't need all this data. You just need to pick up a rock and just run for 40 miles. You just need to just cycle and just if you're doing a 100 mile cycling race, just cycle for 150 miles. You don't need to measure anything. Just be an animal or just have just go all instinct. And there's other school of thought, which is, I think, very much cut from our cloth, which is get the data, measure it, understand it, manipulate it, and do a smart protocol around it. I mean, I think obviously there's some truth to both. You want to have like animal instinct when you're in a, in, in a competition, but you should also be smart and use technology when it's necessary. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on that dichotomy. That's a great question. And I'm an interesting person to ask that question, not, not to toot my own horn or anything like that, but it's just because I actually like to live in both those realms a lot. And so I eat a very primal nutritionist diet, mostly meat and vegetables and unprocessed food, things like that. I try to sleep with uh, the appropriate circadian biology. So with the sun, I'm awake. And with that night, I'm asleep. I wear blue blocking glasses, things like that. Um, and, you know, I try to get a, a diverse amount of exercise almost in that type of primal sense, pick up rocks, run, do different things like that. And so I subscribe a lot to a lot of those recommendations, but at the same time, I'm a busy person. There's a lot of things I want to do in life. You're talking about different goals. Uh, from a competitive level, competition is very high these days. So there's so many people competing at such a high level that if you want to compete and not risk injuring yourself, you've got to be measuring something, right? And so unless you're fine with just competing at the lowest levels, which which is okay. And you know, there's exceptions to that. Like I said, there's always going to be that person that eats donuts and somehow makes it to the Olympics. But 99.9% .9 of people are not that person. And then on the flip side of things, being healthy in a modern world is really challenging because everything's working against you, right? And so 
Uh, we've got bright lights all night long. We've got stimulating things. We feel like we got to check our phone every five minutes. We've got all the stimulation, demands from work, stress, life. Uh, the food is not as nutritious as it used to be. We don't get as much sunlight as we need to. So unless you have all the time and money in the day to sit around and lead a natural kind of hunter-gatherer lifestyle, you've got to be able to pick and choose what to focus on to get the most bang for your buck. And doing a little bit of measurement allows you to do that. And so, you know, I can choose to say, okay, now I know for sure that when I drink alcohol, I, it has lasting effects for, for at least three days on me, right? And I have data in my HRV to show that. And so knowing that, I can either choose to when I drink alcohol or not at all, depending on the person, yeah. or I can take strategies like perhaps uh, using human ketones um, or something like that, some type of nutritional strategy to mitigate that damage right. and reset. And then I won't be operating at a lower level for three straight days yeah. following. Absolutely. I, I think that seems to be where the most sensible people that I talk to, I think sort of land, right? Like there's no magic formula that you just check a box off and you're like, you know, Superman. Um, I think in elite competition, there's an animal sort of instinctual part that's like hard to measure. Perhaps it is measurable at some point, but it's hard to measure given our limited technology. But if you want to really be thoughtful and deliberate about your protocol, your routine, where you spend time, then you have to measure, right? Like that's the engineering sort of reality. If you don't measure, mm -hmm. how can you optimize? How can you know what you're doing is right or wrong? Right. It's about time efficiency and risk, Yeah. right? So... If you're not measuring, you're introducing the risk that you're either wasting time, you're going to injure yourself, or you know, <laughs> one of those two things yeah. basically. And so we don't, we don't, none of us want to waste our time. None of us want to get injured. So we want to be able to compete or or just perform in life and be healthy. And a little bit of measurement goes a long way in that. 100%. So Elite HRV, really interesting measurement software suite and now a new device. Tell us about that. I know you have a special offer for our listeners. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Elite HRV is a free app. So Android, iOS, you can go get that. If you already have a polar chest strap or something like that, you can start taking readings right this moment and good to go. If you're interested in adding convenience and a little bit of extra horsepower to your readings, then we have CoreSense coming out. And that's C-O-R-S-E-N-S-E, -S -E, but you can just see it at EliteHRV.com. For those on video, you can see a sneak preview of it right here. Uh, we've been playing at these with conferences for a couple months, and people have been really excited taking readings on those. And we have a discount for human podcast listeners, and that's H-V-M-N. Just enter that at the checkout, and you get 10% off there. It's already 10% off right now for pre-orders, so you can stack that over the next couple Ooh. weeks and awesome. uh yeah that's a that's a nice deal we also have educational courses actually so i mentioned at the very beginning kind of offhandedly we work basically with the people whose names you see in the research studies we work directly with those people to compile all the latest information on how heart rate variability is used and we teach courses online about how to do that so there's educational courses out there at hrvcourse.com and the same coupon will work there hvmn will work there as well 10 percent off on on all those courses so courses course sense apps hvmn is the coupon code and you can all you can find it all at elitehrv.com 
That is super awesome. I mean, I know for myself, I'm excited to play with Core Sense and, you know, really start nerding about HRV. Appreciate the time, appreciate the expertise, and, and thanks for the offer for our listeners. Thanks so much, Jason. Talk yeah, soon. Yeah, thank, thank you. I'm much appreciated, and I love what y'all are doing as well. So the honor is mine. Thank you. All right, cheers.